When my mom was young, when she was growing up, she was told a story by her older sisters. The story, which was based on historical realities, went something like this. They said, you know, we are part of German royalty. We are descendants of German royalty, king and queen. And there's truth to that. It's a very distant strain. It, it actually comes not so much through the king and queen directly, more like through the prince and uh, one of the workers in the palace, unfortunately. But nonetheless, we'll take it. We're royalty. So when my mom was a little girl, she was told about this uh, family fact. And her older sister said, you know, if every single person in our family died, everybody, if they all died except for you, you would be the queen. It's a lot of thought for a young girl. Never mind the fact that the German uh, monarchy ended in 1918. She didn't know that at the time. But she was a little conflicted. Imagine, you could be queen, you could be king, but all your family has to be dead. Even though it wouldn't quite work exactly like that. She was a little conflicted because on the one hand, she, she wanted to be queen, but on the other hand, she wanted to be with her family, and so she wasn't quite sure whether or not she actually wanted to be queen. You know, today we start a new series, and we're launching into a series, and today we introduce the first king of Israel, King Saul, who, in his beginning, like my mom, wasn't quite sure whether or not he wanted to be king. Wasn't quite sure... At the coronation ceremony, he was kind of hiding in some baggage. He was hiding in some stuff. Wasn't sure if he wanted to launch into this great responsibility. The early monarchy, part one. Who is king? We're not talking about adolescent butterflies. We're talking about the kingdom. The Reeves may have gotten that one. When I was young, I read through... Samuel, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And I was deeply impressed with the need to pray. Because as I read those stories, I realized when things went wrong in the nation, it was because the people had left God. They hadn't taken the time to uh, consult God, to ask God what his will was. And so I made a, a, just a mental promise to myself, a mental desire to read through these histories of Israel every single year to remind myself of these important lessons. We're going to be studying, not verse by verse, through every event in every king in the early history of, of Israel's kingdom, but we're going to look at a number of the stories, hit some of the highlights, and we're going to see some valuable and important lessons. But before we get to King Saul this morning, I want to back it up and, and look at the birth of this nation. The nation of Israel was actually kind of began as a promise that God made to Abraham. Way back in, in Genesis 15, God said, if you follow me, keep this covenant that I'm making you with this promise, I'm going to make you into a great nation. More people than the stars of the sky. 
I'm going to make you this great nation. Follow me. Put my will above your will, and I'll guide you to become this nation. The big question was whether or not he would trust that God could do what he said he would do, and whether or not he would let God be his king, let God be his authority, or whether he was going to take it into his own hands. Abraham struggled a little bit with this. He took the matter into his own hands. A son was born that wasn't the son of promise. Eventually, though, Isaac was born. Isaac gave birth to Jacob. Jacob had that experience one night. Uh, he, he was wrestling with someone. It ends up, it was God. In the morning, God touched his hip, put it out of socket. Isaac, or Jacob realized, whoa, I've been dealing with God. He pleaded for God to bless him, and he did. But God, in the process, he changed his name. He says, your, na- your name's no longer going to be Jacob. Your name is now going to be Israel. Means wrestling with God. One who struggles with God. And it seems like this reflects not only his literal experience, but also the fact that happens to all of us when our will comes in opposition to God's will. When we think we know what's best for us and God says, no, this is actually what's best for us. And we have a choice to make. Who's going to be the king? Am I going to be the king or will God be the king? Who has the last word? Do I have the last word or does God have the last word? We like to, to do this even in discussions with other people. You know, as kids, you get in these arguments and, and you always try and get, get the last word in, right? You try to make that final statement. There was a mom talking to her young son and, and she got caught up in this trap of trying to make the last statement. Her son would always disobey her. So finally she just said, okay, Billy, I command you, I order you, I tell you, you need to always do what you want to do. And then she said, now see if you can disobey that one. She was trying to get the last word. Maybe not the most effective parenting methods, however. So Israel had 12 sons, the sons of Israel. They went on to be the fathers of tribes. Um... However, they got put in captivity in Egypt. 400 years go by. Eventually, God raises up Moses. Moses leads them out of the land of Egypt towards the land of promise. And it could have taken a couple of weeks to get there. But instead, they had this choice. Who's going to be king? Who's going to be leader? Who has the last word in my life? Will it be us or will it be God? And unfortunately, they chose themselves When God was saying, go forward, they said, we're not going to do it. And instead of a couple of weeks, it took them 40 years. And most of them died in the wilderness and didn't make it to the promised land. But eventually, God led the group of people to the promised land. They get there. And instead of setting up a monarchy, instead of setting up a king, God wanted to be their leader. God wanted the people to seek him. He allowed judges, people to rise up from time to time to help the people, to give counsel to the people. But there was no centralized monarchy, no centralized system of governance. There were um, a bunch of guys, one lady at least, who served as the judge throughout this time period. And as you read the book of Judges, you see that this theme of who is the one whose will will be followed. Who's the king? Who's the authority? Who has the last word? This comes up. 
Because the author of Judges writes a couple of times in a couple of places, and the people, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When it came to deciding what to do, it wasn't what was right in God's eyes, it was what's right in my eyes. I have the last word. I am the king of my life. I will choose what I want. Didn't go very well for them. Finally, we come to Samuel, who's the last major judge of Israel. And Samuel helped restore some order. He helped restore godliness to the nation for the most part. He was not only judge, but he was also prophet and also priest, leading people back to God, pointing to God as the source of authority in their lives. But as Samuel got old, he appointed his sons to start ruling, to start judging the people, but his sons didn't follow after him. So we want to pick up the story here. Before we get to Saul, looking at this transition. So we go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1. Join me in your Bibles. First Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. Skipping down to verse 3, But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, accepted bribes, and perverted justice. Verse 4, So the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old. And your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to lead us such as the other nations have. So we have a couple issues here. Samuel's sons aren't doing a good job. But then they're also saying, hey, but these other nations, they have a king. We want a king. Give us a king to rule over us. Samuel was a little offended by this because he had kind of been ruling and he felt like he was being rejected. But Samuel went to God, verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God recognized that the real big issue here was that the people were rejecting God's authority. Instead of wanting God to rule over them, they wanted a man to rule over them. So God said, go ahead. If that's what they want, then that's what I'll give them. Samuel warned the people, though, in verses 10 through 18. He, he pointed to all the different things that a king would mean. A king's going to tax you. A king's going to ask your young men to serve in battle. A king is going to ask your young women to come serve in the palace. A king is going to do all these things that wouldn't exactly be desirable. Are you sure you really want a king? Verse 19 but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. We want what the other people have. The other nations that don't serve God, we want what they have. I can't help but think how many times we in our society just want what society has. And too many times our ears listen to the voices of people who don't know God. We listen to their voices 
the voices of people writing songs who don't know God. We want what's in those songs. We want what's in those movies from those filmmakers who don't respect God. We want what these fashion designers who simply want to make money want to sell to us because we think if we don't have that, then we won't be truly happy. Sometimes we fall into the same trap. We want what the other people. But who has the final say in your life? Whose voice is most important? The voice of people that just want your money and want to keep telling you that you're not good enough, not pretty enough, not strong enough, not whatever enough unless you buy their product? Is that the voice that you want to listen to? Or do you want to listen to the voice of the God who says, I loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Whose voice is most important? Is it the voice of the people who simply want to use and abuse and then throw us out when they're done with us? Or is it the voice of the God who hung on the cross to die and save us and give us a life of eternal happiness? Whose voice do we listen to? Who has the most influence? For the nation of Israel, they wanted to listen to the voice of the society around them. They wanted a king. And in doing so, they were rejecting God as their ruler and accepting a man. And so God said, all right, if that's what you want, that's what I'm going to give you. In fact, in Hosea 13, verse 11, it says that God in his anger gave them a king. It's so interesting. God punished the people by giving them what they wanted. He punished them by giving them what they wanted. Like in Romans 1, we've talked about this before. God, in his wrath, turned the people over to their desires. If that's what you want, if you're not going to listen to me, I'll give you what you want, and we'll see if it turns out how you wanted it. You ever gotten something and you realize that's not at all what you wanted? Even just at a restaurant, looks so good on the menu. Oh, that sounds great. You know, you're, you're, you have this thought, I should stick with what I know and like. When I go with Sarah and her family to the old spaghetti factory, they don't even need to look at a menu because they know what they want. They know what they like. Always get the same thing. I was with them a while ago. I was with them a while ago, and I thought, I'm going to try something different. That looks kind of good on the menu. And I, and I got it, and I ate it, but it, it, was, it really wasn't that good. I thought, man, I wished I had gotten what I normally get. Sometimes we get the things that we think we want and we realize it's not at all what we wanted. Israel wanted a king. They wanted a man to rule over them. God says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. We'll see how you like it. Give them a king. You know, God actually knew in advance that people were going to ask for this. As you read Deuteronomy 17, it actually talks about this. God says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you inhabit it and you settle in it, so forth and so on. He says, you're going to say, we want to have a king like the other nations around us. It's remarkable. God's using the very words that the people would later use. And then he talked about the responsibilities of the king. Because he knew they were going to ask for a king and he knew that he was going to give them a king. He said the job of the king, Deuteronomy 7, 17, 18, is to make a copy, write out the Bible by hand and read it and follow it. That's the job of the king. But that's not at all what we see most of the kings in Israel doing. But God knew that these things were going to happen. He tried to, to tell the people what to do. 
So he, he chooses a king for them. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing. It says he had a son. Verse 2. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. He's tall, he's handsome, he's impressive, he's like Joanna's boyfriend. <laughs> See what I did there? Saul was this, this tall guy. Even back in those days, they preferred taller leaders. America's presidents, on average, have been a little taller. There's something about that. But height doesn't equate necessarily to good leadership. That's the one, though, that the people wanted. God chose the type of king that the people would want. He chose Saul. But, but even choosing Saul... God was trying to work in his life so that he would choose the right. Choose what he was supposed to choose. There in 1 Samuel 9, it talks about Saul. When we first encounter him, he's off looking for donkeys that have been lost. He's wandering the hillsides, looking for these lost donkeys. Eventually, he encounters Samuel. Samuel speaks with him. And in verse 20, Samuel talks to him and he says, Hey, the donkeys that you are looking for, they've been found They've been found. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not you and all your father's family? Saul responds humbly in verse 21. He answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why such a, say such a thing to me? Saul, he starts off pretty good here. He's humble. He's like, whoa. You're talking some pretty, pretty big things, and I'm not sure that this should apply to me. I'm not worthy of these things. God's working in his life. We'll talk in a future week about this experience that happens to him next with the Holy Spirit coming upon him in, in power, and, and Saul was changed, and, and all these things happened to him. But that was the person who God picked, who God chose so in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? People wanted a king. God gave him a king. He picked Saul. Saul was anointed. But at the official um, inauguration ceremony, or a re-inauguration um, ceremony, in Samuel chapter 12, we see that Samuel had some words to speak to the people. He had some more words of counsel, words of warning. He reminded them in, in chapter 12 of, of how God had led them in the past, how God had been faithful as their king in the past. And then he, he gave them some things to, to think about. He gave them some things to remember. Then the verse 12, it says, But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you have asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey him and don't rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord, good. But if you don't obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your fathers. He says, hey, you can still make good out of this. 
If you follow God, if the king follows God, we can still turn this into an okay situation. And it's so, it's so awesome because even though God was being rejected by the people wanting a king, God was still willing to be merciful to them. He was still willing to work with them. They, they had kind of rung a bell that was difficult to unring. But God said, all right, you've chosen this path, now let's make it the best path we can. Maybe some of you this morning feel like you've made some decisions in your life that you knew weren't God's will. And you feel bad about those decisions. The message that we get in this part is that God is willing to forgive us of our mistakes every single time. And even though you've made a choice that's taking you down a path that maybe isn't the plan A path, maybe it's plan Z or H or whatever, God can still make good out of that path. Because the people here, again, had an opportunity. We've got a king, but let's, like, let's let the king of kings be our king. For, for Saul, he had the opportunity to let God be his king, to let God have the final say in his life. And God was still willing to bless them, still willing to do good in their lives. Verse 20, don't be afraid, Samuel said. Yes, you have done this evil, Yet do not turn away from the Lord. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord was pleased. The Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. God's not going to reject you, even though you've rejected him. Our God is good to us, even when we're not good to him. And Samuel, even though he had felt slighted by the people, verse 23, he said, And as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. Samuel felt like he would be sinning if he wasn't praying for the people. Are we that committed to prayer? Are we that committed to praying for people even when they make mistakes against us? He said, I'm still willing to teach you and help you. So we've seen this pattern, we've seen this big question, who's going to have the last say? Who's going to be the ultimate king in our lives? Abraham struggled with it, Isaac, Jacob, the children of Israel, the people of Israel. And now we turn to King Saul, and we find that King Saul also struggled with this big question, who's going to be the ultimate authority in his life? His reign started off pretty good. He vanished. Uh, he vanquished some of his foes, made them vanish. He, he started off pretty good. And there were some people who initially didn't accept him as king, and people were like, you should just kill them. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let them live. I'm going to let them live. He started off his reign fairly good. But then things started to go south. As, as Saul started to forget that God was truly the one in charge, truly the one who really wanted to steer this, this nation in the right direction. It's not that God wants power or that God wants to be like boss over us. It's just that God knows what's best for us. God knows the best way to make us happy in life, in this life and in the life to come. So God's merely trying to guide us best through life. He's saying, let me guide you, let me be your king, and I'll lead you in the paths of righteousness. That's what God is, is saying in all of this. But sometimes we think that God just wants to take our fun away. We think that God wants to destroy our fun. 
And that's a lie that the devil has created. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We could talk a lot about Saul's life. We're going to talk more about him next week. But Samuel 15 kind of is this great example in the life of King Saul that ultimately led to his greatest downfall and the kingdom being taken away from him. It showed who really was king in his life. In the beginning of the chapter, Samuel comes to King Saul and he says, Saul, the Lord has told me you need to go up against the Amalekites and you need to punish them. You need to go, against, go to war against them. You need to wipe them out totally. Destroy all of them. Don't leave anything alive. And for us in this modern day, that sounds like uh, exceptionally severe and harsh punishment. And I'm hoping to do a series on some of these Old Testament stories that may sound a little strange or unjust uh, from our perspective. I'm going to do a series, hopefully on that, in a while, looking at the justice and the character of God in these stories. But just know for now, God's instruction was clear. Do as I say. You're going to execute judgment on this nation. I know what I'm doing. Follow me. Trust me. And so Saul goes to war. He has tremendous success. Things go well. But then we get to verse 10. Verse 10, because did Saul follow out exactly what the Lord had said? No. He left the king alive. He left alive a lot of the the animal, the livestock. He was going to use them for sacrifice so they didn't have to use it out of their own flocks and herds. Verse 10, chapter 15. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and it said this, I am grieved that I had made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Here again we see the heart of Samuel crying out all night long because the king has turned away from God. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But when he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor, and he has turned, down, turned and gone down to Gilgal. Saul is starting to take credit for his victories himself. When Samuel reached him, verse 13, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Good news, Samuel. Samuel said, What is that that I hear? It's the bleeding of sheep in my ears. What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul, what's going on? They were supposed to be destroyed, but I'm pretty sure I hear sheep and cows right now. What's going on, Saul? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice them to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul said. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? You used to be humble. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission. Go and totally, completely destroy those wicked people. The Amalekites make war on them until you've wiped them out. And why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder, and do evil in the eyes of the Lord. But I did obey the Lord, verse 20, Saul says, arguing, I went on a mission. The Lord assigned to me, I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought King Agag back. 
The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of which was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel responded in verse 22, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As much as in obeying the voice of the Lord, for to obey is better than one sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Now I beg of you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back and worship with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Sad words in a sad story that could have turned out so much better. The first king able to set a precedent in the nation, able to repent of their desire to to cast God aside, had the opportunity to lead the people in the right way, saying, you know what? We've got a kingdom. We have a king, but let's serve the Lord. Let's let him be our true king. Saul's reign could have been very long. It could have been very prosperous. But in the end, he decided to put himself on the throne of his heart. And in the end, he didn't follow God's instruction. And God said, you know what? I can't bless you as king. I can't have you leading the people astray. God said in another passage, I'm going to set up a king who's going to follow me after my own heart. The question with Saul, the same question that comes to all of us is, who has the last word in our life? Who is the king, really? Are we on the throne of our heart? Is self on the throne of our heart? I love what Denise shared this morning. Who really is on the throne? Because we have a king that knows the course. He knows the way that our lives can go the best possible way. Do you want to follow that way or do you want to blindly stumble through life with yourself on the throne? Whose word will you trust? Frank Koch served in the U.S. Navy. Some years ago, he had an experience while out on some training exercises. You've probably heard the story before, but it's it's worth repeating once more. Frank was out there on a battleship. There were two battleships out on the seas, spent several days out there. The waves were rough. The waters were uh, enough to make good sailors seasick. And uh, to top it all off, the visibility was poor. The fog had, had rolled in. And one night, as one of the Soldiers, one of the the Navy men, were standing on the deck, keeping watch, looking out. They saw a light off in the distance. Looked like an approaching ship. The captain was still up. The captain was on board. And the captain said to the signal man, send a signal out. Um, First, first before that, he even said, well, take a look. Take a closer look and and see, is is the light still? Is it moving or is it staying stationary? Uh, Is it going to be a a, a near miss or are we headed straight on towards this other vessel? And as the man looked out, he realized that 
the light was staying stationary. It was staying in one spot. And so the, the captain said to the signal men, he said, send out this signal. Signal the ship. We're on a collision course. Advise change course 20 degrees. Sent out the signal. Signal came back. Same message. Signal to ship. Change your course 20 degrees. Captain didn't like that very much. He was the commander of a battleship. It was the other ship's responsibility to move, to alter their course. So he sent back. Send. I'm a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. The message came back. I'm a seaman, second class, came the reply. But you'd better change your course 20 degrees. By this time, the captain was getting very angry, and he spat out, Send. I'm a battleship. Change your position 20 degrees. And the response, as you know, came back, I'm a lighthouse. Changed your course 20 degrees. Frank writes, we changed course. In the end, whose word will you follow? We have a lighthouse. That's our King Jesus. And he's just trying to keep us off the rocks. He's trying to keep us from, from smashing into the sins of this world the consequences of our poor choices. He's trying to guide us into a safe harbor so that we can rest and grow and prosper with him. Can we learn the lesson from Israel and from King Saul and let Jesus be our King of kings and our Lord of lords? Is that your desire? It's a daily choice. Let's make that choice again right now. Dear Father, we want you as our Father, as our Savior, and also as our King. Thank you so much for the good plans you have for us. Though there are challenges in this life, you want to guide us as best as we can through our course. You want to guide us ultimately home to that harbor of heaven, safe forever with you. I pray, Lord, as we struggle day by day, as we have challenges this week, instead of defaulting to making the decisions ourselves, I pray, Lord, that we'll remember to have you as our king. And may the throne of our hearts be occupied by only you, by your Holy Spirit, guiding us, directing us, filling us day by day. Lord, this is our prayer. Thank you for blessing us even when we choose courses outside of your will. Thank you for being willing to forgive us day by day.